The scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, and we will read verses 1 through 7. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you. Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. We're going to continue to look at this passage from Philippians 4 today. But I begin with a simple question. What's on your mind? You you don't have to answer. Although I am interested in your response to that question, this probably isn't the best venue for a lot of different responses. But that's a question. What's on your mind? A question that's occasionally prompted by mere curiosity or asked from a place of maybe courteous conversation making, much like, how are you? Or what's up? What's, What's going on? Those common questions that can be used at times to engage in surface-level conversation or maybe to break the ice. But the question, what's on your mind, I think has the potential to be a probing, life-altering question if we allow it, because what fills our thoughts often reflects what we hold dear. We might think about this in terms of a romantic relationship. Sappy statements like, I can't stop thinking about you. Those are statements that dominate conversation early on in a nascent romance, and and for somebody as romantic as me, far past the early stages of a nascent romance. But this is a, a common theme even in love songs. Maybe from Willie Nelson's, You're Always On My Mind. And now that I mention it, I'm going to be singing this in my head the rest of the time. Hopefully you will be too. From Willie Nelson's, you're always on my mind to Phantom of the Opera's Think of Me. There does seem to be a clear connection between the life of the mind and the survival of a romantic relationship. And while perhaps there is truth to that old saying, absence or distance makes the heart grow fonder, There are plenty of failed relationships that simply couldn't bear the burden of physical absence or distance. Absence didn't make the heart grow fonder because sometimes out of sight, unfortunately, also means out of mind. Of course, close proximity doesn't guarantee steadfast connection. The point, though, is that it is difficult to sustain love when our thoughts are not filled with things that nurture a loving connection. And I think the same holds true when it comes to the life of faith, when we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And I think in a way, Paul addresses this reality in this letter he's writing to the Christians in Philippi. We've camped out here a bit over the last month, but last week we looked at that section at the end of Philippians 3 where Paul urges Christians to find exemplars, to to find individuals who might model for them what Christian faith looks like in the real world when they're faced with concrete and often quite complicated situations. Finding those that we can follow their example is of extreme importance when it comes to mature discipleship. Well, today as we jump to the next chapter in this letter, Philippians 4, we are going to read some of Paul's final thoughts as he encourages these new Christians, and I think we find an additional ingredient to mature discipleship, something else that discipleship hinges upon. We find it as we begin reading in verse 8, where Paul says, finally, now keep in mind this is right after what we've read for our scripture reading, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice Be reasonable. The Lord is at hand. Down in verse 8, finally, it's almost as though he has this one last short addendum. Before we get off the line, there, somebody's on the line. Before we get off the line, there was one more important thing I wanted to say. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things. To return to that question we started with, what's on your mind? The question that I've been wrestling with personally, one that I invite you to consider as well, does this list that we have just read through in Philippians 4 accurately represent or describe your thought life? What's on your mind? Paul says, think about these things. It begins with thought. And it doesn't seem to be a haphazard, coincidental, or whatever happens to pop into your mind, stream of consciousness sort of affair. No, this seems to be pointing us to very intentional and disciplined thought. This is a word here that can be translated in a number of ways that are closely related but emphasize different aspects of the mind. Some translations in English even render this as meditate instead of just think which I think could be helpful in some ways because it sort of captures the idea of prolonged, intentional, disciplined thought. And that's an exercise or a posture that God's people were invited into over and over again throughout our scriptures. Maybe most notably, we would think of the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Hebrew people, which opens by expressing similar thoughts to what we've looked at over the past couple of weeks. Psalm 1 begins with these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Maybe you hear some resonances with what we considered last week from chapter 3. 
Verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Who meditates on his law day and night. What's on your mind? The word that, that we find here for meditate is translated from a word that, that brings to mind the image of um, or at least one of the images it brings to mind is that of a cow chewing the cud. Now, I'm not a rancher, which I don't need to tell you that. You can look at me and make that conclusion, but I know very little about cows or their digestive systems. Although, in high school, I did visit the University of Illinois, which has a thriving ag department, and they had a cow that had been surgically fitted with a port so that you could put your hand into its stomach and they could study its digestive system. You could put, I know it's gross, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it. You could put your hand in um, and pull out soggy grass. It's quite disgusting and, and by the way, I'm not making any statements one way or another about the ethics of that practice. I just know that they did it. But the image of a, a cow chewing the cud, while kind of gross, it um, and, and this is a very non-technical understanding of it, but from what I understand, a cow will chew and swallow and then regurgitate and continue chewing partially digested food a second time. And as I understand it, this aids in digestion. So perhaps this image is bringing to mind a process of, of really sitting with an idea for an extended period of time really mulling it over, turning it over in your mind, maybe exploring different facets of the idea. And this is a word that we find dozens of times in the Old Testament. The point that I'm trying to drive home is that this was an important part of the life of faith. The life of the mind has always been an integral part of faith. Maybe we would think of what Jesus says in Matthew 22. When an expert of the law challenges him by asking, well, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus refers them back to the Hebrew scriptures and quotes from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And another is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But our, our love and worship of God, at least according to Jesus, includes what takes place in our minds. I think it is helpful to think of the process, as we think about Philippians 4, to think of that process of filling our minds with certain things and ridding our minds of other things, to think of that process as an act of worship. The mind is an important part of the life of faith. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be a trained philosopher or theologian in order to worship God with our minds. Although, you know, stretching to the best of our ability, stretching ourselves mentally and, and thinking deeply as we are able about even difficult questions, I think that is a beneficial, worthwhile exercise. The real question, though, is not how intelligent are we, but what are we filling our minds with? 
It's not how smart are we or can we win a technical philosophical debate. What are we actively filling our minds with? Because what we fill our minds with impacts the direction, the, the telos, the aim of our lives. Just like what we considered last week, the exemplars we imitate show us where we are heading, so do our thought patterns. So Paul offers this long list. Maybe we would think of it as an inventory that we will stock the shelves of our minds with, so to speak. And while that inventory list includes a lot of similar features, there are some distinct implications represented in each descriptive word. We can just very briefly run through some of that. He begins by saying, think about what is true, that which corresponds to reality. Don't fill your minds with falsehoods. Don't fill your minds with distortions of reality or hypothetical possibilities. What is, what is true? My wife, Nanette, is such a gift to me in this regard. When I am prone to be overwhelmed by anxious thoughts, she can gently remind me, instead of traveling fast down the rabbit trail of hypothetical possibilities, some that even may be rather fantastical, instead of focusing on what might be, think about what is. What do we know about reality in this moment? Think about that which is honorable or corresponding to nobility. For followers of Jesus, this is not about something like developing good manners appropriate for polite company, although that might not be a bad idea either. But this is not about living into your specific social class. We want to think about living honorably as children of the king. How do God's children live? We want to fill our minds with that so that we might actually live it out. The next descriptive word, think about that which is just or righteous, which flows seamlessly from that thought. The more we think about justice and desire it, the more we will begin to live into those ways of life. Think pure thoughts, whatever is pure. Rid yourselves of those things that might incite greed or envy or hatred or lust or fear. Think pure thoughts. Think about things that are beautiful or lovely. Is there natural beauty? Enjoy it. Take that in. Fill your mind with it. Beauty that's created by humans. We might think of visual or literary arts or, or music. Seek it out. Find beauty. Fill your mind with it. If anything, Paul says, can be lauded as commendable or excellent or praiseworthy, think about it. Don't reflexively allow our culture to dictate what fills your mind. Take back control of your thought patterns. Paul actually elsewhere suggests that this is a possibility. In 2 Corinthians 10, the, the idea of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Jesus Christ. We have the ability to exercise our minds in this way, to control those inputs. 
I think it's also important to understand that an instruction to think about certain types of things implicitly urges us to avoid thinking about their opposites. So think about what is true, lovely, and just implies that we should rid our minds of thought patterns or rid our minds of things that are false, things that are evil, things that are unjust. We change those inputs. As Bob Dylan saying, going to change my way of thinking, make myself a different set of rules, going to put my good foot forward, stop being influenced by fools. It sounds like he's been reading Philippians. Going to change my way of thinking. What are we filling our minds with? I would encourage you, even in this moment, to take a breath and and think about a normal day. And maybe that exercise would continue in the week to come and in weeks to come, but think through a normal day. What, What are your mental inputs? The most recent data that I've seen shows that the average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media. That is a big mental input for for many of us. And I'm not suggesting that it is all bad. I've actually heard stories from within this room of really positive and genuine relationships that have developed out of social media platforms. But I also think we need to think critically about that consumption. Surely over the course of a year, two and a half hours a day has an enormous impact on both our health and the way we see the world. And and maybe for you, the almighty algorithm is feeding you nothing but the most noble content, but maybe not. Mine is currently filled with a lot of Kevin James memes, so I, I don't know what to make of that, but maybe it's feeding you the most noble content, but maybe it is feeding those basest impulses that you experience, greed, envy, hatred, lust fear. What are we filling our minds with? It's important. It actually shapes the direction of our lives. Imagine the difference that might be made if we replace those few hours of doom scrolling or binging a show on our favorite streaming service, which by the way, again, I'm I'm not suggesting that we can't participate in those activities What might the outcome be if we replace that or replace a portion of it with something like immersion in our scriptures or prayer, not to be too on the nose, or in-person relationships with one another? The, The point is those aren't neutral activities. If TikTok is the supplier of our thought life, It's discipling us in a particular way. In a moment, we're going to read Paul where he says, what what you have heard from me and received from me. In other words, my teaching, what you have heard from me and received from me, practice these things. I want to suggest that we have no hope in practicing these things if we're not filling our minds with them first. Again, the ultimate goal here is not rote memorization. It's not just filling our minds with facts, but we believe that our scriptures 
tell us the true story of our existence as God's creation. They're telling the true story of ultimate reality. And in that story, we begin to find our purpose and our meaning. So immersion in the stories that are, that's being told in our scripture grounds us in that truth. This is so important because there are innumerable competing stories about ultimate meaning. Between cable news that may, might be inciting fear or hatred or ubiquitous marketing campaigns selling us the good life. On and on it goes. If we don't deliberately fill our minds with truth, with beauty, with the goodness of God's story of ultimate meaning, we are at risk of adopting alternative stories. Again, as we considered last week, Paul seems to rely heavily that this isn't necessarily a novel idea from Paul. He seems to be relying heavily on ancient philosophers that preceded him. We might think of those universal realities lauded in ancient philosophy, the, the realities of truth, beauty, and goodness. Those realities that exemplify and lead us into genuine meaning and purpose. So in line with what Paul is urging for followers of Jesus in Philippi, think about what is true. Think about what is beautiful and good. What is real? What corresponds to reality? What is lovely? What is fulfilling its purpose? Some scholars commenting on this passage have noted that one striking feature of this section near the end of Philippians is that there isn't anything on the surface, at least, that is explicitly Christian. Many non-Christians would agree, yes, this is a healthy approach to the life of the mind. And I wonder if it's possible that we even find a subtle reminder here that we as followers of Jesus are invited to find the true, the beautiful, and the good all around us. Not just here in the church, you know, in various holiness movements throughout the church's history, perhaps especially in the last hundred years or so, at times there was almost a rejection of the idea that God's goodness could be found outside of the four walls of the church. So the task of the Christian was to retreat, to hunker down, to buffer ourselves from contact with the world. But, but I wonder if reading this selection from Paul, I wonder if the more appropriate posture might be to rather have our eyes opened to the goodness, truth, and beauty that is all around us because anywhere we find those qualities, we can be sure that God is the source. And I think this is a pretty high bar. I don't think that is a lowering of the bar. Filling the mind doesn't just take place in a classroom. It's not just for those who are exceptionally bright. It doesn't just take place in a church sanctuary. It actually can happen in any moment. What are we filling our minds with? At any moment, we can fill our minds with truth about our existence. We can seek out and fill our minds with beauty. So we can think about and delight in the beauty of creation. Maybe through something as simple as 
going on a hike or a walk and following the example of children who stop every five seconds to inspect something like a ladybug, which for me is maddening, but I think it shows how much growth I am in need of. Because that is a holy act. Something that I have unfortunately moved beyond, but I think I need to return to filling my mind with beauty. We drive through a forest where fall foliage is on display and meditate on God who has gifted us with beauty to look at and enjoy and have our minds drawn to his glory. We fill our minds with the examples of those who have lived courageously. We think about specific instances throughout history or maybe even contemporary instances where justice and righteousness are exemplified and we dwell on that. We think about it. We rejoice in it. We dwell on God's story of ultimate reality and in so doing, we allow that story to shape all other thoughts we have. Paul says, think, but not haphazard, about specific things. Think about these things. Follow my example. What, what you have heard from me and received from me and seen in me, he says, practice these things. And then how does it conclude? Right at the end. And the God of peace will be with you. There seems to be almost this very direct connection between our habits, including our habits of mind, what we fill our minds with, and the peace we experience and know. So I wonder, I invite you to consider, is your peace tank empty? If so, maybe this would be a good first step. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is just, righteous, praiseworthy, if, if anything is excellent or commendable, fill your mind with that. Those are not neutral activities. They're shaping the direction of your life. And may the peace of God be with you. Thanks be to God. I invite you to stand. We're going to celebrate around the table of our Lord. Where we are reminded that the life of faith is not just about filling our minds, but it is about experiencing Christ. And we do so today. Through this meal, the body and blood of our Lord, invite you to the table. Um, this is not our table. This is the table of our Lord. And you are invited. Um, if you have a desire to meet with Jesus... To know Jesus, we welcome you to this table. I'm going to say a prayer by way of invitation, and then I'll invite you. We'll make two lines down these center aisles. When you get to the front, there's going to be somebody here that will speak the words over you. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Receive these gifts of God for the people of God. You can return to your seat. If you'd like prayer, there will be people here at the front or in the back. Um, please take advantage of that. We invite somebody to share the, the burdens we are bringing into this place. Um, let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll, we'll join together.
and feast and receive nourishment in this meal. Just quiet our hearts and our minds for a moment. O oh God, without whose beauty and goodness our souls are unfed, without whose truth our reason withers, consecrate our lives to your will, giving us such purity of heart, such depth of faith, and such steadfastness of purpose that in time we may come to think your own thoughts after you through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord?